I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Coffee Cast with Cation and Ruben, powered by Behind the Racket, the podcast dedicated to looking at the top issues facing tennis and getting to know the players facing them. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. The Coffee Cast can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. Special thanks to our sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at MikeCTennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. And now. And indeed, welcome into the Airbnb. I am sharing with Noah Rubin this week for a few days while you've been doing some commentary. How fortunate here in are you? I, I feel like I'm blessed. <laughs> I mean, the gods have answered your wishes and here I am supporting you through your journey. I mean, honestly, I was just getting constant calls saying, it's only Mike. We're kind of getting sick of him. And here I am. This week, we decided to take a week off from our... our I, I can't. Like, I just can't with, with this. It's been three straight days of this shit uh, between the two of us. Frankly, I think both of us have been complete assholes to each other. Yeah, the friendship has actually ceased to exist. Yeah. And now it's just working compatriots. That's really all it is. Yeah. I mean, it was due to happen once we actually spent more than two hours. Right. We knew the people that we were. It was yeah. just inevitable. Um, that being said... It has actually been an enjoyable week. You've been doing some commentary. I have. Three days. We're recording this on a Thursday night. Honest thoughts, like uh, away from the New York sarcastic thoughts for a second, and the honest thoughts of, of commentary as a future profession and how you fit into that. First, it was strange. First, actually, first and foremost, newfound respect for you which I guess I never really had any respect to begin sure, with. I have to course. preface that. But newfound, that is grueling. Your hours are absurd and constant battling, you know, boring matches and, and conditions. Everything that the player has to deal with, you're basically dealing with as well. So, and I didn't do, I only did half the matches you did. So when you had seven matches, I did four and I was still exhausted by the end of the night. But being on that side of things, off the court, but also analyzing a tennis match, the different perspective and everything that went into it, I actually really enjoyed it. I mean, there were definitely moments where I saw your experience shine while mine definitely lacked. But for the most part, I, I really do believe that there is some type of future for me in this realm. I don't know how soon it's going to be. I don't know really where it's going to lead me to, but it's definitely fun. And I like hearing my own voice. That's rare. Actually, I was having that conversation on Twitter this afternoon. Uh, Lee and Eric Janssen, uh, basically, just they just say how much they hate listening. I hate listening to my own voice. Mm. I will not listen to this podcast after we produce it because I just can't stand it. 
That's strange because that's one of the few characteristics I like about you. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard because of the fact that you're listening and then you're listening to the imperfections. Yes, and no, that is true. It's just like watching a tennis match. You're like, do I really look yeah. that bad at times, or do I really sound that bad at times? Or and, God, why did I say that? Yes, and there were definitely times throughout this week where whether it was just a pure mess up, and I was trying to get a word out, which you made sure to tell me about so it didn't happen again um that i was like that just happened and there's no way to save it like in tennis you you know have a bad point you come back to next is okay this is live on air yep. and jamie and my family make sure to tell me when i mess up and i see you're still holding your phone uh right now are they telling you right now what you're messing up on this podcast always could be better Always. <laughs> it's constant critiques. <laughs> this is also a pretty unique week um, as you got to do the interview uh, solo with Tarot Daniel. Yes, this was different. Obviously, I've done interviews with players before, actually one being Daniel. But having a podcast, and I guess this, is, this comes to a time with trying to just feel out somebody for 20, 20 plus minutes on your own, and you have to be the one to lead. You know, I've been fortunate to have you be the leader. That's why we teamed up. That's why I thought you'd be a great fit because you really know how to push along the flow of things through a podcast and an interview. And that was definitely unique for me. Uh, I enjoyed it. I learned a lot from it. I think I did, you know, okay. I guess, again, I'll hear in a few days from people how, how it sounds. But, you know, it's definitely something new and I'd rather have you on. <laughs> well, for this interview, let's hear from Noah and our guest from Japan. Taro Daniel. Okay, I'm here with Taro Daniel. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. No, I'm really excited. You know, you just got, you were the first player to get to the quarterfinals here at Charlottesville, win over Dennis Novikov. How was that match? Yeah, it was good. I mean, I was a little bit nervous because, uh, you know, I know he hits super big and uh, I knew I shouldn't have too much of a trouble if I did play um, like good enough. But you never know in his indoor conditions, you know, it can get a little fast and he hits, he has, he's super talented, has big shots, so you never know. But yeah, went through and pretty relieved. So this yeah. is one of the first podcasts I'm doing by myself. You luckily don't have to deal with Mike Cation. He's doing another <laughs> match right now. So that is actually fortunate for you because sometimes he's definitely a pain in the ass. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, how has the year been for you? You know, it's been interesting. If, if somebody were to look at your results right now, you have not passed the quarterfinals of a challenger yet. But you've also made more than a few quarterfinals of ATP events. Yeah. So it's been a whirlwind for you. But, how, you know, how has that been for you? Yeah, it's a bit weird. Like, I mean, um, definitely in the beginning of the year, uh, not beginning, I mean, like in the middle of the season when I started to need to play challengers, you know, try and qualify back into the slam main draws again, I really struggled uh, mentally to accept that I had to go back to challengers. Um, and then now I've accepted it and, you know, I'm kind of grinding and doing, I'm playing fine and playing well, but... Uh, yeah, just players are really good, and you know you could play someone um, in quarter like you play in quarterfinals in a challenger, possibly in a quarterfinals of an ATP if it if draw opens up. So like the level's not that different. Like it's okay. There, it's I mean you know it's a little different, but not like to an extent where <laughs> the entertainment value is totally you know. It's very similar. Yeah, it very really similar, is. Yeah. 
So for you, what was the first thing you had to overcome? It's the mentality of going into the challenger. I mean, you talk about it. The level is very similar, but the points may be a little different going into it, and the money is certainly different. I mean, was that a change as well, knowing that you're just playing for not the same reward, but you're putting yeah. in the same effort? Yeah, yeah, the effort's uh, same <laughs> or even more because in an ATP, I go in with you know with a bit more of like an excited. Um, more of a nothing to lose mentality so i'm not as stressed during the week you know i come into a challenger you know i you know i'm still like one of the top seeds so you know i definitely you know i always have like kind of the responsibility to try and do well um there's certain things that don't work as the same way as they do in atps like some tournaments don't have laundry service or you know they don't give you balls for practice <laughs> you know stuff like that so um yeah those little things you know Little by little, they stress you out a little bit. No, uh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I, I know from my, you know, experiences is, you know, I can go play a Grand Slam, a second round of Grand Slam, and then a week later, I'm playing in front of zero people. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, literally yeah, yeah. three people watching your match. And that is, it's just, it deters me from playing yeah. challengers. You want to play that event. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about your background a little bit. Obviously, obviously, you speak very good English, but you're playing for Japan right now. Talk about, you know, where you grew up, what was that like, and, and how you made the decision to play for Japan. Well, yeah, I mean, I was born in New York. Uh, my parents met in the city, and uh, my dad's from Santa Cruz, California, um, and my mom's from Japan. Um, but, yeah, shortly after I was born, I, the whole family, we moved back to Japan when I was still a baby. And then I was living there till I was like 13. And then my dad was always obsessed with like the Latin tennis culture. So, um, yeah, we moved to Spain and, you know, he had he found like a branch of his work off uh, office in Europe as well. So, yeah, we were able to move there without um, much of like a financial um, sacrifice from his part, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so. Um, yeah, I lived in Spain for 10 years after that. And then now I've been in kind of, you know, shuffling around Japan in the U.S. for a couple of years now. Very yeah. cool. And, you know, I think it's known around, at least for players, that there is a lot of opportunity in the Asian culture, in especially Japan. Uh, was that a big move for you um, to have and, you know, to have all of that at your disposal and also... What is the pressure like now that you have, let's say, sponsors that, you know, you were on behind the racket, you kind of spoke a little mm -hmm. bit about this, you know, the pressure of maybe not being at 50 in the world, but still getting the sponsors of somebody who is there. Talk about that for a second. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Asian culture in terms of like the fan culture there is very different, like with anything, not just sports, but you see like, for example, with the K-pop culture, like it's huge and like, you know, the people really get into it. They're like... They're not just like casual fans, you know, they're, <laughs> wait, and, then, and then in tennis, like their people are a little bit more casual than like in K-pop per se, but you know, they do invest, like they see a player they like and you know, they follow, there are weeks where, you know, I have, there's like some, there are some like people who've come to challengers all over like a small town in Italy <laughs> to come watch me play, you know, it, it's, it was a very surprising like shock after being in Spain for seven years or eight years and then seeing that kind of support um yeah and then obviously there's you know it's a, japan's I, it's not a growing economy anymore but uh you know there's still a lot of big corporations there and they seem to be very uh supportive of athletes you know they're 
they respect like especially Olympic athletes very much. So yeah, I'm very grateful for the support. But yeah, with support comes certain responsibilities, um, which creates new problems too. But yeah, that's life, I guess. So talk about it. It was last year your first ATP title. Was that last year? Yeah, that was last okay. year. Okay. So you win an ATP tournament. Obviously, that is the first step in a dream come true for a tennis player. Yeah. I mean, talk about that experience. And also, how do you combat? You're obviously back in, you know, at times at the Challenger Tour. Are you thinking about how am I here right now? Why am I here? I mean, ATP winner of sorts. Are you just waiting for that moment to get back to that level consistently? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, um, you know, together with that title a couple of months before that, I beat Djokovic in Indian Wells. So those, you know, like month, that month and a half was like the first time I was like, oh, okay, I can like, you know, finally try and step into this um, category of top 80 and top 70 because I've broken into top 100 multiple times before that. But was never really like solid like 100% always in there so um yeah that was definitely a huge confidence boost in the long run I think and then yeah like I said before I've definitely struggled to like you know accept the fact that I have to grind in challengers um yeah but and you know also the same thing happened a few weeks ago when I played quarterfinals of the Tokyo 500 and then had to go to Fairfield straight away and then, you know, there's a huge <laughs> difference and <laughs> massive difference in support and conditions and, yeah, just general aesthetics of the place, you know. So, um, yeah, dealing it with better um, than I was earlier in the year. Um, but, yeah, for sure that winning that title, you know, it's more of a long-run confidence than, mm. like, the short-term confidence. Like, I, I know if I keep working on it, then I probably should be able to maintain that level by the time I'm 30 or something, mm -hmm. I'm looking more, you know, long, long run. Yeah. So for you, I mean, you said just, you know, fixing your mentality to grind and challengers. Is that what's going to take you to the next level? Or are there other things right now in your game or off the court that you have to fix before you are a top hundred player consistently? Well, I think it's definitely more like technical stuff and, you know, so certain physical, like physical um, aspects, some tactical, some technical aspects that I need to improve to um, solidify myself in that top 100, um, hopefully top 50. Yeah, and the Challenger is just like a place you just have to pass by. It's not like, yeah, I'm trying to play the Challengers to get the points or, you know, like I came here because I wanted to avoid playing indoors as much as possible in Europe, for example. So instead, I wanted to play outdoors. You know, in Charlottesville, it's indoors, but it's one indoor tournament versus three or four mm -hmm. in Europe. So, yeah, but it's always, you know, these days I'm always trying to look at the technical, uh, you know, what I, whatever I can control in my tennis, which in the end will take me wherever I can go. So Mike and I have spoken about this a lot. I mean, what's your ranking right now, approximately? Yeah, like one, one between one five, 105 and 110 or something. Okay. Yeah. Um, so do you have any points to defend coming up or no is... no i don't yeah. okay so you're kind of right on the border yeah. <laughs> of making it to main draw hopefully yeah. you are in main draw of the australian open but again we've talked about this a lot here at the charlottesville 
event. There are a lot of players pushing to try to get into qualifying of it, of Australian Open, and also pushing to get into the main draw. I mean, if tennis is not tough enough, here's an added pressure that you're trying to start off the year 2020 with hopefully a good result. I mean, how is it? I mean, is that a just completely different mentality when you're walking on the court thinking, I need a semifinals here? I mean, what is, what is going through your mind? Yeah, I mean, that's a, like an, an inv inevitable baggage that you have, <laughs> especially towards the end of the year. Everyone's trying to yeah, make that main draw or qualifying. Um, and you can tell that people who play for that usually don't play well. Um, yeah, that extra pressure is huge. And I believe that difference of prize money between the first round of main draw versus first round of quality is a little too big. Um, I don't believe that. So it's like you make like what, like seven, eight thousand for first round qualities versus fifty grand in the main draw. So it's like it's a little difference. Yes, it's like that means a person who's ninety nine is making eight times more than someone who's one fifty. Right. Like, are you really eight times more valuable? <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't think so. So you know, um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, but uh, you gotta kind of accept it, and then you know, hopefully. Yeah, uh, things get a little more equal in the future, but also, you know, it's an individual sport. It has to be kind of like a more uh, super capitalist kind of, you know, <laughs> approach to it too. But yeah, it's a difficult balance to reach. Do you walk like on a first round challenger match when you are fighting for that spot? Do you do anything to fight those feelings in your head is that something you just accept and say i'm going to feel pressure just deal with it it's okay if i miss a few balls let's just find my feet or does it you know come as a surprise when it's four all in the second set and you just feel tight because you start thinking about it i mean what goes on through a match oh yeah, it's been different for me like so the first time i've had to qualify for top 100 i actually wasn't thinking about it that much um I never really thought that much about points or money or anything until I actually got into the top 100. And then, yeah, I had like this middle period, which was like last year or two years ago when I had to like qualify myself again into the top 100. Then I was like really, really thinking about it. Like, oh man, like the 50 grand or like, you know, just the status of being in the top 100 so big. And then now I'm, I'm in the period where like, okay, I've already seen what's in there. I've won a title. I've been 60 in the world. I've beaten a couple top players. Okay, so now what do I do to become, to constantly be there instead of like, okay, yeah, the 50 grand in the next Aussie. Of course it matters, but it's not as important as it used to be. Seems like you're thinking much more long-term than anything else. Yeah, I think you always have to um, in this sport because you play so many matches that it can't be so heavy. <laughs> like if you make it that heavy every single match, then it's going to be a tough, too tough of a road for you. <laughs> have you been this way? It seems like you're very mature the way you go about it. Have you been this way since the juniors? Is this something you've learned over time now? I mean, you know, you're 26 years old. You know, it's still fairly young. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean... You know, have you, has it been a learning process throughout it all? I feel like a lot of people have certain experiences that get them to the certain point they are in their career. Or was this how you were when you were 17 years old? Um, generally, yes. Okay. But then obviously, yeah, like. You can brag these, a little bit. It's okay. Yeah. But <laughs> like, you know, you have like these little lessons you keep learning. Like I've learned a lot this year. Like even if I've already experienced so much 
through challengers and through ATPs, like I've still struggled this year to like, you know, accept that I'm grinding again in the challengers. And that, yeah, the biggest thing I've learned this year is to just kind of accept all, all the pain and that it's, that suffering is enough almost to mm -hmm. just live. Um, then, you know, like there's this very like people always kind of search for happiness or relief or whatever. Um, but even if you reach that state, it, I feel like it only lasts a very short while. Like say I make Aussie, you know, this, if I win the tournament, I'll make Aussie open main draw. Like I'll be happy for sure for a day or two. But then I'll be back at it planning my preseason and my calendar for next year. And then I'll have new pressures then. And then, you know, the suffering will never stop. And that's a, that, and, and learning to be okay with that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I think tennis players always lurk, look for that next step and they're never content. That's just how yeah. we are as athletes. Yeah. We're never content with what we have now. And that's people in general. But, you know, it seems to have this thought that, enjoy the suffering enjoy the journey because that you're always going to have that no matter what your status is no matter what your ranking is that's always going to be there so if you're not enjoying that why are you doing this i think yeah. that's you know it's it's really smart of you to be in that headspace now this this young and i can only wish i get there so uh <laughs> but it's been it's been really interesting hearing people's perspectives of yeah you know i i want that 90 spot and everything's going to change when i get there but it doesn't seem like that's always the case no yeah definitely not um so another issue that we're dealing with here at the charlottesville challenger it is the end of the year so besides the wanting to get into australian open and all those fears and thoughts and ideas that you know stream into your mind people are tired People are exhausted, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I'm looking, and, and you're up to 32 tournaments, and is this your last tournament of the year? I I hope it is. Okay. If not, I might play <laughs> Knoxville as well, Okay. and then I have Davis Cup after that. But, okay. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, this is 32 tournaments here, but that doesn't count exhibitions or any Davis Cup that you will play. How do you feel right now? You know, that's a little maybe above the average of what a yeah. normal <laughs> tennis player plays, you know. You're looking at probably around 25 to 28 for the average yeah. tennis player. What's the body feeling like? What's the mind feeling like? Yeah, like I, I've been always a very injury-free person, luckily. And, you know, I've also worked really hard in the last year and a half with my training to, you know, prehab the body and bulletproof joints and stuff. But even then, if you're competing that much, you'll have little problems, you know. Um, and not just with, like, the body as in the joints or the muscles like you start to have like digestive issues <laughs> like because you're fatigued certain foods like will make you a little bit sick or body just breaks yeah. down a little bit yeah but yeah i mean but everyone's feeling it so it's all about who's able to accept that fatigue a little <laughs> better and you know sometimes i like the end of the year because you are tired but then it's like the friday <laughs> of a week so yeah, I mean, you got to grind a bit more. There's a very little effort left to make <laughs> until you, you go on that it's vacation. That final push. <laughs> yeah, go on that vacation or something. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, also depends also if the place is a nice place or whether you're able to travel with somebody. Uh, this week's a great spot in Charlottesville, you know, beautiful leaves, the autumn vibe. And <laughs> my father is here, so 
for now, I haven't had any mental breakdowns. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, hopefully, you know, I can keep keep it that way for from tomorrow too. Yeah. No, that's great. And you know, looking ahead, you have either Brandon Nakashima, an up and comer, or Maxime Janvier, the big ball striker. Are are you one to watch the matches? Because obviously, Brandon's a young kid. You may not know much about him. Or do you just go on? This is end of the year. I'm all, I'm focused on myself, and that's it. How do you go into the next match? Um, I will try and watch at least a couple games to get a feel. Um, but I did play Nakashima and Fairfield a couple weeks ago. Okay. And I was very surprised and impressed with this tennis. He's very young, and yeah, he beat me. So uh, I was like, oh, this guy, you know, uh, not a super American style tennis. You know, very solid, um, very structured tactically. Um, so yeah, it'll be a real grind if I, you know, play him. It'll be a good battle. And then John Vieira, I haven't really seen him play that much, but I know that he's a super huge ball striker. So it'll always be a tough, tough matchup in a fast condition like this. Yeah. So besides all the tennis in your mind, you spoke about it a little bit, vacation. Yeah. What are we doing? Is there anything planned for the end of the uh, year after Davis Cup? You, how long are you taking off? What's the plan? You got you to relax a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it kind of depends, you know. If I, if I do go to... Uh, if I do end up going to Knoxville, um, then I might just go and chill with some family members in California. Okay. But if I don't go to Knoxville, then I will have a little bit more time in between Davis and uh, Charlottesville. So mm -hmm. I want to try and go to Iceland or something. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I was actually, I have a trip planned to Finland soon. I oh, nice. always yeah. want to see the Northern Lights. Yeah, yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. With anybody? No, it would be by myself. Okay. <laughs> very cool. Yeah, my girlfriend probably won't be able to take the time off. Um, you know, so you got to kind of improvise. Um, and I'm sick of the heat, you know. We're pl always playing in the heat, like getting sunburned and sweating like crazy. You know, I was trying to go somewhere cold and... Put on that be, winter coat and gloves yeah, and just yeah. be... Yeah, that yeah, sounds perfect. Peaceful, a little bit yeah. of snow. When's yeah. the last time you've seen snow? Uh, I actually don't even remember. Probably like... Davis Cup last year or something in Japan. Yeah, something. Yeah. Well, it's very exciting. I wish you the best of luck for this upcoming, you know, few matches and tournaments, and hope you make it to the main draw of Australian Open. But thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> well, fun interview for Noah and Taro Daniel, and uh, that will wrap up the the coffee cast for this week. We should again point out he might have gone on to win this tournament in Charlottesville. It's entirely possible. We're recording before the end of, of the tournament. In fact, uh, he's in the quarterfinals mm -hmm. tomorrow as we record this. Um, but for you, I, I think a lot of people want to know where you're headed, what you're up to um, for the rest of the season if they weren't watching the broadcast this week, um, and, and how you're going to spend the rest of 2019. So sadly, my commentating times are done for this year, which I'm sure some people are happy about, like yourself. But with that being said, yeah, it's time to definitely work on the body. You know, this was my rest period that was prescribed to me. And what I did was rest. <laughs> Maybe a little more than I wanted to. But now it's time to really build the, ba the body back up again. Get in form for 2020. Because like you've heard me say a few times this week, I really miss the sport of tennis. I miss hitting a tennis ball, and that's what I love to do. And yes, of course, I like hearing the sound of my own voice, and I, and I think there's, there's room for me in the future doing commentary. But right now, it's running down tennis balls and making people feel pain on the court. That's where I'd rather see you too. Yes, because I know you rather make fun of me as well.
it, it is a joy to watch as it is for most of the players that I get to commentate on. It is really a joy to actually get to watch you play and do what you love. So well, I'm happy to hear that you're actually loving the sport again. Um, that's been a, a constant concern of mine uh, since we've started doing this podcast. So I'm really happy to hear that over the last few days and hopefully we'll see you doing it again soon. Yes. No, really excited for the future and uh, 2020 is going to be a great year. The hope is to try to get Vashik Pospisil for our next guest. That is the hope and Hopefully, we'll do that next week. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at NoRuben33 and at MikeCTennis. We want to hear your opinions and stories behind the racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us ratings on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you behind the racket on the Coffee Cast with Patient and Ruben.